and I could no longer just use Percocet and Oxycontin's really expensive. <laughs> so um, I couldn't like buy it on the street and I quickly moved to heroin. Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Sanigato. I'm Greg Dybeck. For anyone out there that wants to be a guest on the show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can go to our website, oplshow.com, or just send us an email directly at oplpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, guys, and quick plug of the party game that Joe and I came out with. It's called Pay the Price, if you haven't checked it out. Perfect for game nights, holidays, uh, just you know, kind of playing and having a good time with friends and family. It's a trivia party game, and you can check it out at paythepricegame.com. Also, if you want to become a member of our Patreon community, you'll get weekly bonus episodes and you get to help support the show and you can head over to patreon.com slash OPL show. So with all of that out of the way, today we're going to be talking to a woman about a topic that we've honestly wanted to cover on the show for a long time. We're going to be speaking about drug addiction and going through this guest journey of becoming an addict uh, of meth and heroin kind of hitting rock bottom becoming homeless and then being able to turn her life around and use her experiences for a really great cause so we've got the guests on the line today and first of all just want to say thank you for taking the time out to chat with us yeah thank you so much for having me i'm excited to be here yeah absolutely so you know i think to to kick this off i think it'll be interesting to hear i guess in your journey a lot of us have experience using drugs, maybe recreationally or trying. And I guess to, to kind of kick this journey off, because I know there's a lot to cover, you know, what was the moment for you, I guess, the interaction with drugs where it went from recreational to something, you know, something more, something that ended up becoming an addiction? That's a really good question. Um, so I, I used marijuana recreationally for a long time, um, for many years, and also alcohol for a long time. And then I got introduced to opiates. And opiates was a completely different demon, I guess you could say. Um, I used it occasionally with friends for a while. And I'm not sure... I'm not honestly. I'm not sure what when when the switch happened. Um, I I started using Percocet, and then due to some unfortunate circumstances, I got my hands on some OxyContin. And once I started taking taking OxyContin, my tolerance got high, and I could no longer just use Percocet. And OxyContin's really expensive, <laughs> so um, I couldn't like buy it on the street, and I quickly moved to heroin um and that's wow. when it pretty much went downhill from there quickly so around what age did you start using heroin let's see i i started using heroin at 19 oh wow yeah 19 years old i'd started using opiates at 17 and then was introduced to heroin i believe 19 did, were you doing this like sort of just on your own and hiding it from people or did you have like a group of people that you were kind of doing this with? So I, I was using opiates with, with some friends of my, friends of mine. And, um, and at the time I was dating a heroin addict. So I was introduced to heroin through him. 
And then it just kind of became our secret. And it was something that we just did together. I guess in your own words, what was the draw, you know, at that age and, and sort of the feeling? Because was there, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, were you excited to use it? Like, oh, I've always wanted to try heroin. I feel like from people I've spoke to or addicts, that's, it's not the case. And there's, you know, we all kind of grow up understanding the stereotype of, well, you shouldn't do heroin or that's really where things could start to go downhill. But then people find themselves in that situation where they try it and stick with it. And was that the case for you where, you know, at a young age, you sort of knew, well, this might be dangerous to try, uh, but you kind of did it anyway. And then it just became, I guess, a feeling that you needed again, or can, can you just kind of go into that a little? Yeah, of course. So I have addiction heavily in my family and I have family members who are addicted to heroin so I, I knew the dangers of it. I thought that I was more powerful than it. So I, I remember the first time I did heroin, I thought to myself, I'm only going to do it this once and it's going to be fine. And, you know, it's not going to become a problem for me. And I I did heroin once and it, it was I was off and running. Like I, I ended up buying heroin like four times that day and I spent like hundreds of dollars within the first couple of days. Um, I think already at that point, I guess for, you know, lack of a better term, that the addict switch was already turned on from the previous opiate use. So I, I was already powerless at that point. Like as soon as heroin entered my system, there, there was no turning back. But I, I went in there knowing that there could be consequences, but also not really caring. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah, I, I I understand. Um, and also, how long were you using it for before you, you know, sort of came to this reality of like I really need to stop doing this, or you became aware of the fact that like I have completely lost control here. That happened really quickly for me. So um, I, it happened quickly, but it didn't stop me. So I had been using heroin for probably a couple of months um, and I was hiding it from my family and I had a bunch of money saved up so I wasn't like into criminal activity at that point but I remember the feeling of like I need to have it in order to function you know like at that point I had to use it in order to not go through withdrawals and it, it took over quickly. So probably like two months into it, I recognized like, I'm not going to be able to stop on my own, but I'm also not ready to stop yet. So I I'd recognized that it was a problem. I just wasn't willing to do anything with it yet at that point. And it, it took, I, <laughs> if I compare myself to, to other addicts, I, I wasn't in active addiction for that long. I was only in active addiction for about a year and a half. Well, with heroin at least. And um, so a couple of months into it, I recognized like, this is a problem, but it took about an over another year in order for me to actually do anything about it. So, so what, what exactly like, you know, I'm assuming like, and also like during that year, like you said, you had some money saved up, so you weren't, you were just buying it. How, how much were you spending on heroin in a month? Oh, in a month. Oh God. Um, well, okay, so <laughs> that's hard. That's hard to answer because it, it varied. Um, 
and also I mentioned earlier that there was this boyfriend involved. So I was a little bit more stable than he was. So I was pretty much buying for both of us most of the time. Um, but, and on any given day, I would say in the beginning, it was maybe a couple hundred dollars a day. And then towards the end, it was maybe $80 a day. Wow. Are you just blowing through any savings at that point or are you? Yes. Yeah. And are you working? Are you functioning? Are you going to school or does this kind of end up taking over your life completely? So when I first started using heroin, I had a job and I was getting ready to go off to university. Um, I, I went to university using heroin and went for a semester and then dropped out. Um, I didn't attend any classes, you know, I pretty much just stayed in my dorm room getting high all day. Um, so I dropped out, I, I had a job, but like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like a functioning addict. So I would call in sick, I would leave early, I would show up late. Um, that job maybe lasted a month or so. And then um, later on in my addiction, I had another job and um, I started stealing from coworkers mm. and got fired, um, which was really rough, but I, I'm not functioning. Like when, I, when I'm using, my entire life is, is taken over by using. Wow. And then, so you, you did mention before, that you had money saved up so there wasn't any criminal activity yet you said before and now you just alluded to kind of stealing from co-workers i guess at what point did this kind of hit its peak of i i guess did you end up kind of stealing or were there criminal activities involved for you to continue using and at what point does meth come into the picture yeah so um it, i can't it's really blurry for me, honestly. Like the, the timeline of, of most of my uh, using career, let's say, um, is blurry because I was getting high, right? So so my memory is pretty faint. Um, but when I did engage in criminal activity, like I, I unfortunately, I stole from my family a lot because they, they were just easy targets, you know, they were, they were there. So it probably started with like taking some money out of my parents wallets you know and, and then it progressed to like pawning some of their belongings um this mostly happened after i got back from university um things got really bad after i got back and i started using meth at the university also short shortly before i came back home um and again, I was introduced to meth through that same boyfriend. Wow. So, you know, during this time, I mean, you know, going through all this, and you said it took about like a year uh, and change um, for you to kind of like realize that there's, you know, a problem and you are when you actually like did something about it. What exactly did you do? What kind of steps and like leading up to that? When did you like, was there something that happened that forced you to be like, okay, enough is enough? Or is it just kind of just the time yeah so um i tried to get sober a lot in that year and a half i i tried many different avenues so i tried um 
I don't I don't know your guys's knowledge of of addiction or of opiate use, but there's a medication called Suboxone um, mm-hmm. that you can take to that's supposed to help like minimize cravings, and it's also supposed to help prevent you from getting high. So I I tried that for a while, and that didn't work. Um, I tried like uh, an outpatient program, and that didn't seem to help. Um, I went to rehab, I went to detoxes, and that didn't seem to help either. Um, I, I wanted to get sober, but it, it didn't really stick for me. Um, what what kind of, I think, forced it to stick was, was essentially like hitting my rock bottom. So um, my parents are like, they're such wonderful people. Um, and they did a really good job handling me as best as they could when I was in that state. But um, they kicked me out a couple of times for, for using and stealing. And so I, I've spent, I've had different bouts of homelessness. And um, right before I got sober was like my longest bout of homelessness where I was homeless for about six months. And um, I, I'm from Washington state. So I was homeless from like August to December and um, it like rains all the time here and it's cold during those times. And, and I'm, I was homeless, like sleeping on the street homeless and like stealing from people. Like, I don't know if I want to say this because I don't know if it'll be incriminating, but I was stealing from people um, and their belongings and like, businesses to survive like I was stealing food to survive and like I would go weeks without showering because I would have nowhere to shower um and honestly like what what led me to getting sober was it was coming up on Christmas time and I'd spent Thanksgiving away from my family which was really hard and um I wanted to spend Christmas with my family. I mean, that's truly what it was. I wanted to spend Christmas with my family and it was getting close to that time. So I reached out to them and asked them if I could go to detox and spend Christmas with them. Uh, and I did, it's a long story, but basically I ended up being able to spend Christmas with my family. And then, um, later that evening, I went to treatment in California. Wow. Can I ask, at the, that six months that you're homeless, how old are you? Um, 21. Wow, that's it. How self-aware are you when you're kind of in that state where, you know, you're a 21-year-old, you had spent some time at university? I mean, is at that point, is taking drugs just so that you don't have to face your own reality or I, I guess my question is just you know we, we live in New York City and we pass a lot of people especially recently after COVID that are homeless and I've noticed what seems like an uptick in even younger people you know just kind of sleeping on the street and uh, you know you just can't help but wonder what led this person here or what their story may be and for you you know just 21 years old is it just what is that self-awareness are you just actively trying to get out of that or is it just completely you're just completely consumed by how to get the next meal money and just take more meth or heroin I think a little bit of both um I think 
most of the time I'm just consumed, you know, and of course using drugs like changes your state of being. So you're very much in survival mode where it's like, you know, how do I get, how do I eat? How, how do I get cigarettes? How do I get money? How do I get drugs? And that's pretty much your main focus. But when all of those needs were met, I would have these moments of like, I wonder what my family's doing, mm-hmm. you know, or, um, you know, I, I wish I could be back at home with them. Um, and it's hard. I, I was homeless in the area of where my family was. So there have been times where I'm, you know, walking past my house and, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, homeless and, you know, in withdrawal and I'm looking for money, you know, and, and having wow. that kind of in your face all the time is hard, but it's hard to be self-aware when you're in that state because you are in so much of just survival mode where it's like, how do I just get through this day? Mm-hmm. And because you're high, you lose track of time, you know? So there would be times where like it would just fly by, you know, and, and you'd be like, Oh, I guess, you know, I've been homeless two months now and it feels like a week, you know, it's just your, your eye was totally consumed. Wow. And, and it's just such it sounds so simple for you to say, I just want to be with my family for Christmas. But at the same time, it, it's simple, but it's so powerful. And, you know, I know for me that that specifically being home with family for Christmas, Joe, I know you're the same, you know, being super close to your family. It's it's simple. It's something we take for granted, but it is just one of the most powerful things, I think, in people's lives who have that and can appreciate and are grateful because uh, not everyone is obviously able to have that with family. Uh, so that's just, I don't know, it just gave me chills when you said that for some reason, because it's, again, it just sounds so simple, like, oh, like I'm, I'm homeless right now, stealing from people and businesses, but I just really want to be home with my family for Christmas. And for that to be enough, because it is just such a powerful experience and, and thing to have to be able to pull you to that next step is pretty amazing to hear. Also, I, I wanted to ask because you said like during that year, you, you know, made several attempts at, you know, getting clean. Mm-hmm. Was the thought of having, you know, Christmas with your family, like the time that made it stick or like what was like the reasoning behind like this being the final time that I'm going to like, you know, really get clean this time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't think actually I know that I, I didn't go to treatment with the intention of staying sober. Um, I don't think I went in with the intention of not staying sober either. It was just, I mean, this is going to sound kind of dumb, but it was something that just happened, you know, like they, they put me on a plane to California to a treatment center and there was just something different that time. Like, I think that I was truly just done. Um, I, I was scared to be homeless again. And I think it helped that I was in a different state where I didn't know anyone. And I was away from boyfriend who I used with the whole time. And I was away from the people in the environment. But I I really didn't go into treatment thinking like, I'm going to stay sober forever now. It, it was something mm-hmm. that just kind of happened. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's, it's honestly, in a way, refreshing to hear because, you know, this isn't a movie. This isn't, you know, maybe there's not always this giant epiphany or this thing that happened. It's just, 
maybe holding on to hope and continuing to try. Like I read a stat before we jumped on the call. I don't know how accurate it is, uh, but it said on average, I think it'll take people five times trying to go through recovery before it possibly sticks. And, you know, right there, it just shows, you know, you might try three times, you might try four times, and then maybe that person just completely gives up on themselves because it hasn't stuck. But then that fifth time, it just happens. And it seems like for you, uh, you know, almost, I almost want to say thank you for not dressing that up to be something more glamorous. It's you've, you tried, you tried, you tried again and it stuck luckily, but that is a culmination of, I guess, all your efforts in the past and just not fully giving up on yourself to just keep trying to get help. And then it's, it's amazing to hear that it finally did stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I've known women who have been to treatment 20 times, you know, and they're, they're still fighting to get it to stick. Mm -hmm. So, and I know people who have gone to treatment once and it stuck, you know, so I don't really know like what, what the special ingredients are, (laughs) you know, I, I just know that, you know, if you keep trying, you can be successful. How long have you been sober? Um, I have as of yesterday, four years and nine months. Wow. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Four yeah. years, nine months. Mm-hmm. And and just hard to imagine. I mean, I know people can't see you right now, but we have you up on the screen, so we see you. And it's just always incredible like to, to hear that story where you came from. I'm looking at you right now in, I don't know if it's your home. It looks nice. There's a nice shelf, decorations. You look great. Like, to, I cannot imagine you in the scenario that you just described on the street going through withdrawals. Like that alone is is just amazing and i guess you know shows how much progress you've made so yeah congratulations on four plus years and all all the rest of the years to come thank you so much it's a a big deal every day is a big deal you know no absolutely and what i guess now knowing that you've gone through recovery and you're still sober for all these years uh, what type of life changes did you make and kind of where are you now? Yeah. So lots of life changes. (laughs) Um, you know, they say like you have to change everything. And, um, so when I went to treatment in California, that's where I stayed. So I, I'm, I currently live in California. Um, so I, I had to, you know, move a thousand miles away from everything I knew and, essentially build a new life. So uh, after treatment, I went into sober living where I stayed for a year and a half. And I've just kind of slowly rebuilt my life back. You know, I I got a job in treatment pretty pretty early into my recovery. And I continue to work in treatment. So I'm, I'm a drug and alcohol counselor at a treatment facility in California where I get to help other women, you know, hopefully find recovery, which is extremely rewarding. Um, you know, I'm a homeowner now, so I own a home out there as well. And I have two dogs and a a wonderful boyfriend that's also in recovery, you know, so I I really had to like start from scratch. You know, I I went to California with with a backpack and a suitcase. And, you know, I I participate in a 12 step program, which I've kind of been reluctant to talk about just because I don't want to feel like preachy, you know, Mm -hmm. some people really get turned off by 12 step programs. 
and there are other ways to get sober. This is just how I got sober. Um, you know, so I have a sponsor. I continue to go to meetings. I continue to be of service to other people and I've just rebuilt my life. You know, I had to let go of a lot of toxic people that held me back and kind of just build a new community that helps me grow. I mean, it is truly incredible to sit here and just, you know, hearing about your journey and, and going from homeless to homeowner is like, you know, that's astronomical to me. I mean, there's people who are never homeless or deal with any sort of, you know, uh, you know, hardships, like even close to being homeless and having, you know, a, an addiction. Um, so, you know, to be able to be four years, nine months sober and then own a home completely, you know, start a new life. Like it's, it's truly amazing to hear that. And I know that it's very important for people who are listening to the show that may be going through something similar or know someone who's going through something similar. Like this could be like a beacon of hope. And I also think that it's very admirable that you would take the time, um, to dedicate your life basically to helping people and, and showing them that, you know, you were in this place and now this is where you are. And this is what people like, this is what is possible, you know, mm -hmm. was that the reason why you got into it? It was just like, I need to make sure I'm doing my part in like giving hope to these people that may be in a bad place. It's interesting. You know, I, I had kind of made the decision that I wanted to be a counselor like years and years ago. And it was when I had first started using opiates. And I think there was a part of me that recognized, like, there's something not right with you, <laughs> with me, you know, there, there's something wrong here. And I wanted to understand it better. So I started to, like, research addiction. And I, like, got this drive to, to want to help other people that were suffering because I think I knew deep down that I was suffering. Wow. So once I got sober, it felt like, you know, this is it. This is what I'm going to do now. And uh, I went to school. I became certified. Um, and, and I've been working at the same facility for almost three years now. And um, it, I mean, it's it's really hard work. You know, it, it can be very emotionally taxing working with, with addiction, you know, and, and sometimes it's like I've had clients die, you know, and it, it's hard to, to face that reality, but it's also, it brings me so much purpose. You know, I, it's so rewarding being able to like see the light in people's eyes come back, you know, and, and it's, it's mm -hmm. just, it fills my life with purpose. You know, it sounds cheesy, but it's true. It, uh, absolutely does not sound cheesy after everything that you just told us and the fact that you are living proof that it is possible like joe said there's there's nothing cheesy about that uh a lot of people use cliches and you know want to preach and help people or you know whatever there's a whole culture of that of people who haven't really done anything for themselves that want to preach and help others and use that to whatever be their business make money but no like you have gone through this, lived through through it, have done the work on yourself and continue to and, and are now able to help people. So that's awesome. And, you know, I do want to, I just want to discuss a few things before we wrap up because, you know, I think this topic is really important because it's kind of, it's like six degrees of separation at its finest. Like so many of us know or are not far removed from someone who suffers from addiction or we've lost friends loved ones i think it's 
it is prevalent in a lot of people's lives in, in some way. And, you know, I know it's just something that's so hard for people to communicate about or wrap their heads around because there's so many emotions involved. Like people want to have empathy for addicts, but then there's anger, you know, like, don't they know what they're doing? It's self-sabotage or you're hurting your family members. And it's, it's easy for a lot of people to just think like addiction is just not having willpower or weakness versus, you know, a, a real disease or like you said, you know, genetic in your family. Like, can you just kind of, I guess, give your definition of addiction or an addict just so people can kind of wrap their heads around, you know, what, what this is as a disease. Yeah, sure. So, um, I, I, I giggle because I, I hear that a lot. Like, you know, just be stronger, you know, have more willpower, get more discipline, you know, and if only it were that easy, right? Like mothers don't leave their children behind because they're weak, you know, it's because they're sick. Um, and I see that a lot from, from what I, I know addiction lives in like the, the primitive part of our brain. So it becomes instinctual, you know, it becomes survival, like our, it becomes more important than food and, and water and sleep, you know, it becomes more important than connection to family because it, it just activates this primitive part of our brain, you know, and, and it's hard once you turn that on to turn it back off, you know, it, like it, I would be lying if I told you that, like, I, I don't go a day without thinking of using, which mm. sounds insane because it is insane, right? That it's, there's an insanity to it. Um, not a day goes by and I've built this beautiful life and there's still that part of my brain that's like, that kind of sounds like a good idea, you know? Mm. <laughs> um, and that's why, why it, why some people fail after so I don't want to say fail that's why some people relapse after so much time sober you know I've seen people relapse after decades and it's because that disease never goes away it stays there you know that that once that light switch is on you can't turn it back off you can just kind of take it a day at a time and and not use no matter what um but it, it's something that stays with us you know and it it's not something that's wrong with our personality. It's not that we're that we're weak-minded or not disciplined. It, it's something that actually lives within our brain, you know. And it, it's going to sound crazy, but it, it's very much like for me that there's two separate people living inside of my head, right. where there's there's the addiction, there's the the disease that tells me, you know maybe it would be a good idea to get high today, you know? And then there's like the, the recovery part of me that's like, okay, but we're not going to do that. You know, those kinds of battles go in my head every day. You know, I just choose to feed the recovery part of me instead of kind of surrendering to the disease. Hmm. Is that helpful? <laughs> no, yeah. And, and that's not something that I like is you know, I've definitely heard that before where people are saying, you know, it's not like you get sober for a year and then it's completely gone. It's, it's something that you have to wake up and actively, you know, fight against every single day. Mm -hmm. And it, it makes it all the more, um, you know, impressive, you know, being sober as long as you have. And, you know, it's, it's great. And I think that, like I said, I think it's, it's just very admirable that you can go from a, a very dark place and then, you know, come out of that 
on top own a home and then also be dedicating your lives to helping people who may be going through a similar thing there's a lot of people who wouldn't do stuff like that mm. you know and, and it's 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 inspirational in any sort of field not with just a, you know addiction just anything really like being one of these people who walks this earth that is like a beacon of hope and like motivation and just showing what is possible to be going from through something like being homeless um to where you are now uh, it's inspirational there's across the board not just with you know people who may be dealing with addiction so i think that you know this episode would be very important um to kind of get get out there and and you know for all these people to sort of hear and not it be this very um like you know we were saying before like very dramatic and like a movie sort of like it's just right. a very real take on the whole situation yeah i, th I think that is important to note just the ability to communicate this as just truthful and genuine from obviously your experience. We understand that you're not speaking for everyone or every addict, but you know, we, we thank you for that. A lot of people, you know, like Joe said, can abuse a platform in a sense. Um, but I think, uh, you know, you have just given us your journey truthfully. And I think that's helpful for a lot of people on both sides of the spectrum. Anyone who is battling addiction that's listening to this, as well as people who, you know, know someone who is battling addiction, because that's a whole other type of battle, you know, I know for family members and friends and things like that. And it just can't hurt to, you know, shed light on kind of a, a full circle journey like yours with the note that it doesn't just disappear and that you are still essentially in this battle every day and, and for the rest of your life. Um, but it's, uh, you know, just shines, shines a light and, and some awareness on what that's like day to day. And just like Joe said, that it is possible for someone to recover and go on to do amazing things. And, you know, no one should be counted out. I think that's important. Yeah. You know, it, it having walked through the darkness makes the light that much brighter you know, knowing like there are still, I've, I've only been a homeowner a couple of months, but there are still times I walk into my house and I'm like, it brings me to tears how full of gratitude I am because I used to sleep on concrete and now I hmm. have a home, <laughs> you know, um, it really does make like day to day that much sweeter, you know, like I, I get to go to work and enjoy what I do when before my days were filled with, you know, drugs and and shitty people you know yeah it, it it does um i feel like i experience a lot more gratitude than i did even before drugs came into my life absolutely i think that's a great note to leave off on and it's you know addiction or not uh that's just something i think a lot of us need a reminder of uh and it's hard to forget how much worse things could be for you or it's easy to lose sight of you know anyone's own journey again not just talking about addiction but you know being able to acquire a home or lifestyle and you know it's so easy to just want more and more and more and forget to take the time to have that gratitude and say wow look at what i've got or look how far i've came so yeah we we really appreciate this i you know that was amazing i think uh you know thank you for just sharing that story obviously going back to some of those dark places uh but you know it's it's super helpful and we're really happy that we're able to have you on yeah thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed this thank you so much we appreciate it have a good one you too
time I travel to a place where I don't know the language, I just end up speaking in broken English and feeling super embarrassed about not knowing even basic phrases. But thankfully, that has changed recently thanks to Babbel, which is the number one selling language learning app. And Babbel is awesome because it actually teaches you language skills that you can use in the real world, from menus to greetings to directions. Plus, their lessons are 15 minutes long, which is perfect for on-the-go and quick consumption. And their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be successful. You can choose from 14 different languages, from Spanish to French to Italian and German. And you can get started today. And we have a special offer for you guys. When you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you get an additional three months for free. So that's six months for the price of three. Awesome deal. Just go to babbel.com. Use the promo code OPL. That's babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Code OPL. Get started on that today. If you guys don't know, Joe and I created our own adult party game. It's called Pay the Price, and it's a trivia game that requires both brains and bravery. So basically, players take turn answering trivia questions. But if you get a trivia question wrong, then you can still get points by pulling a consequence card and completing the funny, embarrassing, awkward, or just straight up crazy challenge on that consequence card. So Basically, you don't have to be great at trivia to win. You just have to be brave enough to complete the consequences if you get the questions wrong. And we launched this uh, about a month ago, two months ago, and people have been loving it. They've been having game nights, connecting with their friends, families, creating some unforgettable moments. So we really want you guys to check it out and create some of those memories for yourself. You can head over to paythepricegame.com and OPL listeners, there is a special code for you. You can enter OPL at checkout and you can get 15% off your copy of the game. Uh, we ship to the US, Canada, and internationally. So check that out at paythepricegame.com and use code OPL at checkout. Well, I, th I just want to say that I think that this episode will probably be one of the more important um, episodes that we ever put out on, on this podcast because of what you were saying before, like the six degrees of separation, like it's way less than six degrees, but I'd say yeah. like maximum two. Um, <laughs> everyone knows someone who's dealing with some sort of addiction or, you know, has a friend or, you know, maybe you personally are dealing with addiction. And, you know, I've, I have very close like relatives and people in my life that have dealt with addiction as well. And, you know, it, it's, it's a very hard thing, man. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things that is, I guess not talked about enough. And like, it, it is, it's hard on everyone, you know, it's hard on the people that have to watch their relative or whoever sort of deal with it. And then you want to get mad and you want to get angry, but you also want to help, but then you feel like you're enabling, like, it's just like this whole big, you know, sort of thing. So to talk to someone who really, you know, dealt with it, on an extreme level where you got addicted to heroin and then uh, you're homeless, you don't, you like, you have nowhere to go and you're walking past your childhood home. Like it's, it's terrible. And then being able to pull yourself out of that and now own a home and, you know, give back and help people that are dealing with the same sort of thing. It's like, that is like wildly inspirational, you know, mm -hmm. like for anyone that's dealing with addiction, addiction, especially, but for just anyone, any sort of 
person who has any sort of like hardships or anything in life like it's like it's never too late to kind of do that like that seems like an impossible thing to do for a random homeless person that you see on the street to be like this person's gonna own a home in four years like you'd probably right. put the house you bet you know bet the bank that they fucking wouldn't you know what i mean isn't that crazy so, to think from your perspective you're walking past her on the street and it's like yeah you would just think well that life is over or that's yeah that's that that got tarnished there's you know that that's not going to end well and if you had to bet your money on whatever the circumstances would be we would probably all pick the worst possible outcome uh right. but that's crazy like the same people well now she lives in california but you know the same people could then walk past this person going to their job going to their home you know whatever it may be and never even realize that that was the same person who they passed on the street years ago and right. like you said any type of hardship, whatever it may be, it's it's just a reminder that, you know, things don't get solved or fixed right away. It's not always the first time. I mean, that's that's just a good lesson for anything, anything that you're putting effort into, uh, not even just climbing out of a hole, but, you know, wanting to aspire to more, wanting to build something, whatever it may be, uh, you know, just not giving up and continuing to try and not give up on yourself is just so important in so many aspects. And uh, it's it's just so cool that it stuck for her. And it was, you know, really intense when you think of that imagery that she discussed. Like you said, walking past her childhood home, just this kind of nagging of, well, I feel like I should be with my family for Christmas. Because you can't forget, she's, she's so young. She's not that far removed from just being a yeah. teenager at home. You know what I mean? Uh, she's 21 and homeless. And then, you know, to be able for that, and, and her family and that kind of want to be together to be the thing to, I guess, pull her back to eventually go through recovery and have it stick. Just powerful to I, hear. I do want to say, because this popped into my mind, it doesn't really have to do with addiction or anything, but it was interesting to hear her say that that was the driving point behind getting sober. And it just, the, the thought in my mind, just it, it just like occurred to me that it was just even more validation of, you know, just spending time with your family is one of the greatest things on earth and then we take a lot of we take a lot of that for granted spending time with your family or you know people who mean something to you and we cloud a lot of our day worrying about things that don't necessarily matter this is someone who is dealing with addiction going through withdrawals and they're homeless and i mean they got a whole fucking phone book full of problems here and all they want is to just spend time with their family like that's what's going to make them happy that's what's going to take them out of this dark place just spending time with their family and that just kind of like just resonated with me um because like i said i think that a lot of people they cloud their days and their lives with all these things that don't really matter when the things that matter are actually very easy to attain and 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 one of them is just spending time with your family and not taking those kind of things for granted so i thought it was super interesting for her to be like you know, that's all I wanted. And like, the, I, I knew what I had to do to do it. Like, I'm, I'm going to go through detox just so I could spend time with my family. Like that was, that was great to hear, honestly. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. And uh, I totally get what you're saying and agree. And I think that's, that, that's the cool thing. And I think why this is powerful is it's just the lessons pulled from this are not at all specific to her circumstances or even anyone going through addiction. Um, Jim, just as simple as, like we said to her at the end, leaving this conversation and remembering to just look around and be thankful for, you know, what you have and what you've accomplished so far, because I'm sure, I mean, 
I'm this way, you're this way. It's yes, it's our driving force and we always want more and it's, it's grow and new things. But the negative aspect of that is, you know, you forget to take the time to be present sometimes and, you know, congratulate yourself on the things that you've done or accomplished, whether they're small or large, you know, before trying to attain more and more. And, you know, that, that's really cool. And it's awesome that she still has those moments in her life that she walks into her home still and it's just like, wow, I did this. This means something. And, you know, we could all, we should all do that in our own lives as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. And for anyone out there that may be dealing with sort of, you know, any sort of addiction or anything, it's, you know, obviously never too late to, to get some help, um, either for yourself or asking other people for help. Uh, I think you'd be surprised in, in, you know, who would help you. So definitely, you know, use this, uh, this woman's story as, sort of inspiration or motivation to uh, get clean. And uh, yeah, for anyone else out there that would like to be a guest on our show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can go to our um, our website, oplshow.com, or send us an email at oplpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, be sure to follow us on Instagram at oplpodcast. And if you want to become a patron and get those weekly bonus episodes and help support the show, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash oplshow. You'll also be part of our Helping Other People initiative, where each month we donate some money to a charity or kind of create a charitable venture. We've helped out previous guests and things like that. Uh, So you'll be part of that conversation of deciding how to spend the money each month. So check that out at patreon.com slash OPL show. And that is all. That's all. See you guys next time.